sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. It's your breakdown for early February 2022. Joining me as always, we've got Dan. How are we doing today? I am great, thank you very much. Uh, we, we've got a lot to talk about, lots happening. We have Daniel looking sharp on your on your screen there literally the camera's better the camera is literally better because <laughs> you've got your new macbook so no longer is there going to be steam coming off it as you spend 12 weeks no. rendering a youtube video no hopefully i mean i'll be paying off for a while yeah but i i think the uh it'll it'll pay for itself over time we should be able to produce just more content for people especially with the columbia trip so it's uh it's great to have uh to help me with that yeah, uh, so that that's a, a must-have, and I upgraded the PC. I posted that on the Patreon, so anyone who does support the podcast, thank you because you've helped us do that, and I've upgraded the PC so it goes a little bit faster. I'm going to start taking on some of the video editing and doing some other little bits and pieces myself as well. It does make a big, big difference to getting the content out. I actually do have a new camera as well, but it's been in the packet for about three or four weeks now um, because it's a bit more fidgety to set up but it'll be better than this this webcam um you'll see a bit more of the illustrious background that i have and, and all that but yes thank <laughs> you to everyone that supported and everything else a lot to get through uh in the the show we've got today dan so chris mellon's article has just dropped on the debrief.org uh, why is the air force awol on the uap issue we're going to start off with that we're then going to look at jim semivan's appearance on coast to coast this past weekend and um, a lot of cool nuggets of information in there jim semivan doesn't do a whole load of interviews unfortunately for us maybe that's one for the bucket list this year um we're going to look at havana syndrome which is something that still pertains within the media even the mainstream that that's not going away we're then going to finish with uh, one of your now famous dan uh, as i'm calling it no one else james webb telescope updates um because <laughs> you'll be talking about the mirror alignment that's happening that'll be a short but sweet uh, segment uh, we'll then tell you about a uk ufo report you can get through our friends at ufoidentify.co.uk and then what's to come with the rest of the podcast as well but dan let's get right into it so um a little unexpectedly chris mellon former undersecretary of defense as we know a huge proponent and advocate of the uap issue as he has been these last years especially released an article on the debrief as i said titled why is the air force awol on the uap issue pretty damning um article in terms of it's it's almost an attack on the u.s air force um which 
Chris being a patriot and an American himself will be no light thing for him to call out, but he does it in a pretty incredible fashion. As we record this, Dan, I've spent a whole day recording, doing podcast stuff, as you know, took a day off work for it. And I've done an interview with Tim McMillan, which we were recording for almost three hours over over two sections. And we go into this in a lot of detail. So um, around mid-February, Valentine's Day, how romantic, that'll, that'll be released. It'll be up early and ad-free, early access, all that stuff on the Patreon and things from today. But we go into that in a lot of detail there as well. Obviously, the debrief has that working relationship now with Chris. But but yeah, what did you think then when you saw this dropping? Uh it's it's amazing. Like we we've been waiting for since Biden signed the bill, we've been waiting for the next kind of carrying call, you know, where where to focus our attention. And I feel like Chris, you know, this article could have been uh, headlined painting a target for people um, because he's reminding us as a community through the debrief that the Air Force is not playing ball still after you know seventy odd years of it. Um, and he's also getting to to the people to the right people who are like you know probably Gillibrand and people like that um and reminding those guys that there was language in the bill that basically says for every report now that's coming out so october 31st when the first new office report comes out um they've been directed to name and shame people that aren't an organ people and organizations that aren't playing ball so this is kind of the the opening shot of that, I suppose. And uh, yeah, Chris takes uh, no prisoners as he as he tears through that and accuses them. Um, and I think I would agree, rightly so. Um, you know, wonders if they're even responsive to some kind of civ- uh, civilian oversight. I am um, the first thing that took my my attention was Chris Mellon. Are we to believe that the US Air Force did not detect any UAP from 2004 until 2021? This lapse in US Air Force reporting raises doubts about the credibility of the Air Force on the UAP issue and its responsiveness to civilian oversight. Chris Mellon's calling out the US Air Force at that point because the way I, I feel the tone, and I said this to Tim McMillan of the article, it's almost like you're scalding a child that you know has done something naughty yeah. and they're keeping it secret and you know they're lying to you and they're continuing to lie to your face, but you you talk down to them almost. And, you know, I would be shocked if you were doing this and I'm really disappointed if this is the case. And almost calling on them to rally on their pride a little bit by saying, well, you must have saw something. I mean, have you not? Look at all this equipment you've got. And this is, he talks about just the unclassified stuff that he can talk yeah, about. Yeah, that's right. And he lists a few of those, the space fence, which is the world's most advanced radar, tracking over 25,000 objects in orbit, reportedly some as small as a marble. Um, that's a crazy system, right? And yeah. I mean, some of the, the radars um, around the Princeton and stuff like that uh, had similar capabilities. You know, they could, they could track tiny, tiny objects. He talks about the solid state phased array radar system, um, which is uh, there to detect ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, or sea launched missiles at the US. Again, talking about these would, it's not their job, but they would pick up objects like Tic Tacs and others coming in potentially. Um, the Global Infrasound Acoustic Monitoring Network, which is there to detect pressure waves in the atmosphere for detecting nuclear explosions, monitoring North Korea, countries like that the US Space Surveillance Network, the Space-Based Infrared uh, System, Active Electronically Scanned Array Radars, the Federal Aviation Administration, and other surveillance systems. Chris Mellon's rhymed off a load of things there, not including all the other really, really good stuff that we don't know about, that he does know about, 
but shouldn't. And he's basically calling out that, come on, Air Force, you've got all this stuff and you're picking up nothing. You're clearly lying about this and withholding information back. So for me, it's it shots across the bow from Chris Mellon to the US Air Force, Dan. Yeah, definitely. He, he even points out that the, the Air Force train in the same areas as the Navy. So where all these incursions and encounters have been reported by the Navy, the, the Air Force is kind of pretending they haven't seen anything in the same areas, which is, again, a bit crazy, right? Let me ask you then, Dan, the the Air Force, if you're reading into this article the way I think we should, Chris Mellon's saying when those events happened in 2004, the Nimitz-Princeton, or you can look at the Omaha, the, you know, the, the what was it, the Russell? Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there, was, there was a few of those other there events again. Those, yeah. uh, I've been recording all day, my brain's a bit scrambled, folks, apologies. But all of these events that we know about involving the Navy, there should have been surveillance equipment from the air force that picked up these incursions as well so if you're the air force and many or most of this equipment i imagine sees this stuff in real time the tic tac event happened over was it seven to ten days it wasn't a one day thing i think a lot of people can forget that it wasn't that fravor saw a tic tac they chased it bang Graves saw it you know they were there for days sean k hill gary vuhey saw these guys kevin day saw these things were the Air Force just watching? Were they ignoring? Were they monitoring and taking data? You know, what What do you think, Dan? And it's just pure speculation at this point, but what are the Air Force doing when they see, oh, look at all those things just sitting off the coast of that nuclear, you know, powered fleet? To, to say that the Air Force wouldn't do anything in that situation is insane. That's their remit uh, to, to investigate those things, to keep those air, air spaces safe. Um, and it, you, you know, the pilots have a way of reporting now that's been set up. That was one of the first things to happen as the, the bill kind of came about and things like that. Um, so for them to just not report anything, uh, Chris also pointed out that the last known location of the USS Princeton's missing radar data, um, was not only said to by the personnel on the ships to be taken by air force officers but also that it was last reportedly in langley air force base so it certainly seems they're corralling all this data the question is whether they know everything and they're keeping it from us or they know nothing and they don't want to look incompetent a lot of these organizations don't like saying i don't know so i think that the truth usually is kind of somewhere in between those extremes right so yeah do you know what it reeks like to me to to try and use an an analogy here that people i hope i make this clear Imagine, Dan, you are working your way up as a hotshot lawyer and you're doing pretty well. You're on one of the, the, the upper tiers of your pay grade, okay? And the, the bosses of Dan, Andy and co are, are Dan and Andy, okay? And you know that within the Institute, they, they're doing some dodgy things, dodgy practices. Um, they are just institutional bullying, you know, all that kind of stuff goes on, but they are the main guys. You can't touch them. They're untouchable. And for you to speak out and do anything is just going to be detrimental to you. I feel the Air Force see these UAP as there's nothing we can do about these things. And to acknowledge the existence and try and do anything is just going to make us look weak and be detrimental to us. So the best thing for us to do is turn a blind eye and just get on with what we do. And anything we can do, we use it to our advantage. And I feel that sort of the way the Air Force are acting in all of this, that they're turning a blind eye because there's nothing we can actually do about what's going on. You know, we, we can't match what these things can do. So let's just let's just leave it 
and do our own thing in the background. Is that is that fair? I'd say so. And you know, this whole time, those offices they're gonna have other stresses. You know, uh, whether it's China, whether it's Russia, whether you know, there's a lot going on in the world that they're going to be focused on. Um, well, look at right now, we've got Ukraine and Russia on the yeah, borders. Like exactly. So, as much and, as and we love we, the UFO issue, there's other stuff real time going on that's we, more pressing. We even to them. had a report. Um, that off the coast of Scotland, there was an unidentified aircraft and everyone jumped on it as a UAP. And then when you read the article, it turned out it was a Russian thing um, or Russian a, plane. A, a shipment of Einbrew coming in. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. But but I thought that was a really good example because that spread all over the news like wildfire mm. and we knew it was Russian. So if there are no flags on these things, why isn't why aren't all of these uh, events spreading over the news in similar ways? Yeah. Dan, I'm going to ask you a question here. Can you think, let's be fair to the US Air Force for a minute and give them uh, a moment that we're going to be positive about them potentially. Can you think of a good reason why the US Air Force is right to behave the way they are on this subject? Why Why could they be holding back? I'm, I'm going to, I'd recommend people listen to our Tom DeLong profile show because I feel like the answer could be in, in that kind good of plug musings <laughs> yeah um but the idea that this is such a paradigm shift that you know lou said about the word somber that's that's how much it would cause people to reflect tom has been terrified and he's talked about that story of you know not knowing if reality was reality to him anymore um and there's also law that kind of says you know we're on a there was a deal signed and this is kind of the more extreme side of things now but there was a deal signed between eisenhower and the visitors and you know we kind of have a essentially a a countdown and a mortgage right so i i could see a scenario where maybe i'll also mention the, the hitchhiker effect because that seems to stick to people that experience the phenomena so if you kind of open the floodgates and go, everyone, this is real, and you can experience these things. Suddenly, you've got a whole planet full of people experiencing hitchhiker effects and no answers for them. That's kind of scary. And if that's the situation, I can see, you know, I can empathize with that. Um, You you know, maybe maybe revealing the secret makes things worse, and they had to be ready. Um, But they're not playing ball now that we've gotten to the point where we can talk about it. So I, I wonder if that's even close, you know? Yeah, Chris Mellon goes on to say, I have a theory, about which I would like to be wrong, that the Air Force is so accustomed to a lack of civilian oversight on UAP issues that it hardly takes such oversight seriously. Perhaps civilian policymakers are also so accustomed to blanket US Air Force denials regarding UAP that they don't think to challenge the Air Force any longer. That's a pretty incredible claim, but I don't think it's necessarily that shocking that the Air Force is that you know, I'm trying to think of all those teenage movies I've watched, the college quarterback that even the school teachers are scared to do anything about because they're so important, they're so big, they're so powerful, they're so popular, and you're better just to let them kind of do what they want because it's not really worth your time and hassle pulling them up. In in those movies, the quarterback always gets in trouble and they always get involved in the end. <laughs> so, you know, if, if there happens to be anyone from the US Air Force listening, please just join the conversation. <laughs> No, no one will be mad, you know. It'll be a constructive conversation. Yeah, and and, and that article again, I, I would encourage people to go and read it. I, I know from from speaking to a few people that uh, Chris Mellon has been working on this for a few months. It's not something he he wrote out overnight. 
uh, when he was bored. He's a he's a busy man, and a lot of thought has gone into it. There are a lot of hyperlinks explaining various different things as well, and it's got a, a fantastic amount of knowledge within there. So and, I, and I suggest people do read it too. Um, yes. which I actually emailed over to Susan Goff because um, I figured, you know, what the hell, she'd be great to ask these questions too. So if I get anything back, I'll share that on social media and on here. Have you got a favorite question, Dan? Here's a here's a good one for you. There's 14, isn't there? Uh, there questions are a lot asked. of questions, yeah. There's um, questions within the questions as well, actually. Yeah, so. like for, for me, they're all important. I'm not going to pick one just, just because they all kind of piggyback on off each other, right? And and they're all addressing things that Chris has brought up in the article. Um, so if anyone gets any answers to any of these from the Air Force or from Susan Goff, um, it'll be very, very informative. Dan, I've got a favourite question. What's your favourite question? It's really sassy. <laughs> uh, question six. Is there a problem with the F-22 sensor system? If not, how is it possible that Navy fighters with inferior sensors were routinely detecting UAP off the east coast of the US for years, while US Air Force F-22s operating in the same training areas did not? If it was simply a matter of Air Force pilots' fear of retribution, what does that tell us about the Air Force culture? And what are you going to do going forward to encourage rather than punish openness and vigilance? That comes from a place of knowledge that I think many of us are, are at now where we know that people are scared to come forward still. Maybe it's less so in the Navy with the procedures and protocols put in place after the task force report. But it looks like Chris Mellon's calling out that, well, we know there won't be a problem with that sensor system. You just have pilots too scared to come forward and you need to fix it. That's what I read into that one. So I love the tone. This this isn't one of those articles. It's not a blog. It's not Chris Mellon sharing his thoughts. This is there for people to read. And I don't mean us. I think we've said this before, haven't we, that in some of Chris Mellon's blog posts, they're not there for us to read they are aimed at a section of people he knows are paying attention and he knows are reading those and i feel this is exactly the same yeah definitely i completely agree with that um chris knows the the big movers and shakers in this uh would be the phrase i guess and yeah the the language is very much aimed at at affecting or maybe you, you know bringing certain points to the the conversation between those people yeah, so go and check that out, folks. The link will be in the description of this podcast. If I remember, it will be, it will. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting article from Chris Mellon. Love to hear people's thoughts on that one uh, online via email, UFO, UAP, AM at gmail.com or any other way you can get in touch with us. Dan, you're going to take the lead on the next one. We're going to look at Jim Semivan and his appearance on Coast to Coast over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Jim Semivan went on to kind of open up about all things TTSA um, and, you know, how he met Tom, um, where this conversation is going. I'd highly recommend people go listen to it, but I'll just hit on a few highlights for, for you here. Can um, I just say, I forget yeah. he's a co-founder of TTSA. This was one of the things I was going to remind people of, because he, he shared a story that I'm not sure has been fully shared before, but he, he basically said that him and Tom got involved because uh, Jim read Secret Machines um and heard some of what tom was saying and thought oh god you know this guy's clearly informed um i'm gonna go talk to him so they they had a conversation and tom proposed the idea of jim joining the company and jim said no he wasn't interested he was interested in researching the phenomenon not the entertainment side of things um and that was when uh basically at that table were a number of people uh the jim didn't share the names of but hal was there and that was where, on the back of a napkin, they kind of sketched out the plan for TTSA, um, and it was formed there and then. 
um, it wasn't long after that that um, Jim apparently put Tom in touch with Lou and mm-hmm. they had a call and then uh, yeah they, he he got a message at like midnight 1 a.m uh, from Tom saying basically yeah I've I've employed Lou he, he's joined us now um I, I thought that was a real interesting little tidbit in the timeline it kind of clears up one of the gaps I had in my uh in my notes for Tom DeLong part two profile um but yeah I, th- I thought that was interesting because people have wondered if Lou was involved earlier and before he resigned and it just doesn't seem to be the case you know it's yeah. no conspiracy there it's just well, well that's know. something we talk about don't we on on tom DeLong part one for people who yeah. haven't checked out yet as you know there's so much of of what tom says on early interviews on jimmy church and shows like that where it's a source i had and i was banging on the doors and you've got to and we were wondering was lou one of those doors and it doesn't seem like he was like it, yeah Lou came on at the time we, we, it kind of looks like he did and there was nothing untoward or sinister going on in the background at all um, yeah, absolutely and and it speaks to what we said as well where ttsa as we know it now was the plan b plan a went away when wiki WikiLeaks happened and all those names came out and jim the original team. he only found out tom's advisors because of Licky WikiLeaks. Licky weeks WikiLeaks. Weeks. <laughs> dan's new website Licky weeks check it out yep get your Licky Weeks hat. And, <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff we're going into in detail in part two of the Tom DeLong discussion, because that will basically be the TTSA kicking off the the A team, the B team that we got to know as the A team. Yeah. Um, and then the, those couple of years of TTSA with unidentified and, and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to go into that in detail. Something I was really interested in, again, and I know this has came out before, but the fact that Jim Semivan, and as he says, his wife are experiencers, yeah, this is he, a, a pretty heavy hitting guy to come out and say, "I've I've had these experiences." He talks about the uh, going to a UFO conference. Yeah, I'm just double checking yeah, yeah, what I had. Right. Talks about going to a UFO conference in Virginia Beach, and he tells a gentleman about the experience he had. And basically, they they was told you have a classic classic. They don't say abduction experience, but classic experience. And he, he wrote down a few of Jacques Vallée's books for him to read, and that started his journey into. Yeah, you, you've had this experience and here's here's a little bit of how to make sense of it, I suppose. Yeah, and, and it wasn't Jim and his wife's only experience as well. He he says that in 2018, uh, they had a, a hooded figure visiting in his bedroom. He said it looked like a mini Death Eater. Um, and after reporting it, uh, he was told to kind of try and make contact. And in this interview, he says, like, there's no way he's going to try and make contact with something that looks like that, which I think is fair enough. Um but yeah, not not the one event, many events. And he specifies that he and his wife are still being studied. And that's why he yeah. doesn't like to talk about these things in depth. Um, which, you know, there are only certain avenues that that can study this stuff. So I I'd be curious to hear who is who is studying him, you know. I wonder if there's an MRI involved. And you know what, as well, I think this is one of those where, and we know people on on social media particularly, um, he won't mind me saying it because I've interviewed him and the interviews out there, but John Davies, who was, you know, classically annoyed at lack of representation for experiencers, here's a a pretty well-respected, credible, heavyweight individual, not just in terms of UFOs, but in his positions that he's worked in and the, the people he's worked with. And he's calling out that I'm an experiencer. I've had multiple experiences. Like you say in this, we're still being studied now. We've had experiences as recently as a couple of years ago. And 
yeah, so this this is what you're going to get. I mean, there, there's not too much higher you can go before you start getting to presidential levels of yeah. You need you need the presidents to come out and say they've been abducted or had experiences, and you're not going to get that. So th- this is happening. This conversation is moving forward, and people can correct me and please get in touch. But were these same individuals coming out at this rate back in the nineties and the eighties and the seventies? making these claims on these kind of grand stages of course there was no social media but this is this for me is a massive step forward especially for experiencers although i can't talk as an experiencer i can appreciate how frustrating that must be but these are people kind of hopefully putting that word out there and, and moving that conversation forward yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people will be glad to know that uh, Jim specifies that they're still going to be doing the science stuff and the karate, um, but they're just focusing on entertainment for now because of cash flow. Uh, there's no timeline, but when the funding comes um, to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, which is now called to the Stars Inc., um, we'll go back on and, and do the science kind of research with, with the phenomena. Um, I think people thought that that was going to stop uh when when ttsa shuttered but it seems not to be the case uh we also have news that the ttsa podcast is going to be coming back as well uh with perhaps peter lavender uh which will be interesting because he he writes the gods war and man books mm-hmm. um which are you know not so fictional it's kind of looking at the phenomena through a historical lens and bringing in some very esoteric uh areas of discussion as well uh, including DNA. So if if anyone is interested in the DNA discussion and the hybrid discussion, have have a read of the second book of Secret Machines because there's a lot in there for you. Um, they also point to a few names quite prevalent. Uh, Dr. Colm Kelleher is discussed. Of course, he's just done an interview with Kurt Jai Mungal uh, along with George Knapp on Theories of Everything. Check that out, folks. It's available now on YouTube. Same with our interview with them from a couple of months ago. Um, also, John Ramirez is brought up and, and Jim Semivan backs up john ramirez's credentials but also what he says doesn't he to be specific he backs up um yeah is his credentials and the foyer direction that yeah, sorry, uh, yeah. john gave so not to give anyone the impression that he backs up that there are reptilians and stuff like that um but yeah that that is he, he says to listen to john and that he gives out good advice when when it's uh the the harder stuff you know not the speculation to be fair, I asked John, as we record this, part one's been released, part two is coming out this Monday, that, you know, there's that you've got to differentiate between opinion and knowledge. And I think John was quite fair in his responses that throughout that interview, including in part two that people will hear, this is what I think based on my own experiences. And th- there's probably more of that within John's conversations than here's what I know because of where I worked and those conversations so i think it probably leans quite heavy towards john's own experiences and opinion but he's got a platform because of his background which yeah, yeah, to be sure. fair is the, is the same for jim semivan and because jim semivan coming out and telling us he's an experiencer is one thing but jim semivan with a 25 plus year cia career behind him is is another and that's that's just how it works isn't it and and distinguished cia careers as well you know these guys just weren't you know filing or anything uh they they were fully you know sleeve rolled up mugging in doing intelligence work um so there's no wonder that they have a lot of knowledge between them uh i i would expect you know a couple of years back we only had jim now we've got jim and john and i would expect more people to start coming out of the woodwork and discussing this now 
uh, because a lot of the younger generation that are in these organizations, be it the CIA or politics, they see this as a as a really important issue and the kind of the cat's out of the bag and they're discussing it now. So <laughs> even if the higher ups want to keep it secret, tough. Pe- people are talking about it. And one of those people originally that talked about it was Bob Lazar. And Bob Lazar is brought up, of course. It's a George Knapp interview with a big name. So Lazar's going to come up at some point. And uh, Jim Semivan again says he sees nothing to say that Bob Lazar's a liar. He he acknowledges he could be lying, but doesn't think so. And that um, it makes sense. And I've got the, the note here. It makes sense why they hired him. Look at Snowden. Uh, this is a quote. Look at Snowden. We hired him. No college degree, but a very smart kid. In my opinion, he's a traitor. And they hired him. Calls Lazar a Zen mind. And when a project gets stuck, they bring in someone completely different, completely new, to give a new perspective. And maybe someone that had those personality flaws, if you want to call them, of a Bob Lazar. And we've discussed this before, including with George Knapp, is the person you bring in. Because there's that plausible deniability. Yeah. It's like bringing in me. To, to be an expert in something that, you know, he's flawed and the guy who has silly little UFO podcast, yeah, but he knows this. Yeah, but, you know, he's also the guy that you go, if he ever goes to the papers or the press, yeah, so UFO nut, Andy McGrillen, and that's how it would be positioned. But it doesn't mean I didn't do what I was brought in to do. And I think that's that's the way Bob Lazar potentially, because I've always said I still lean much more towards Lazar telling the truth and a lot of that story not all of it but a lot of it being being correct and i would say there's probably reasons why why some of it isn't true yeah yeah i i, I would agree i always struggle with the bizarre thing that's a unknown plate for me that just spins but there's a lot there like you say the, the zen mind thing bringing in someone with plausible deniability you know he was a larger than life character that was showing off rocket cars in the local paper you, you know you can that's someone that you can easily write off under plausible deniability um but you know with with bob lazar we also have like two pools of information that he gave us we had the stuff that he says he saw and experienced and worked on and then we have the stuff where he was you know pouring a room given a file and that's all the zeta reticuli stuff and things like that so there could be a little misinformation muddy in the waters there for that plausible plausible deniability as well I am delighted to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, VinoVest. As you all know, I've got a young family and I'm always looking at ways I can save and invest for the future. Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem? Historically, it's been reserved for the ultra-wealthy. VinoVest is changing that. VinoVest is a platform allowing investors to own 100% of their portfolio and easily buy, sell or drink from their collection of fine wines. After missing out on all those next big things to invest in, I'm always looking for what is the next big player in the industry. I was amazed at how easy it was to get started in diversifying your investment portfolio. Wine has one third the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualised returns, proving that the returns can be as robust as your favourite red. VinoVest makes it easy to acquire new investments, equip with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell and even drink them whenever you want. Enjoy historical returns, direct ownership of world-class wines, portfolio diversity and robust recession resistance. 
go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod zero. That's the number zero. The link is also in the description to receive two months of fee free investing. That's two months of fee free investing. It's time to start investing with Vinovest today. Dan, uh, anything else you want to add to to that one? Obviously, this is something we want people to go and check out themselves. Uh, subscribe to Coast to Coast. I'll g- again give a shout out to Joe Murgia, who does a wonderful job transcribing. It's a 64 or 65 mega tweet thread that Joe Murgia managed to, to sit and give. So if you're just looking for those kind of highlights, then, then check that out as well. But certainly go and uh, listen to the full interview if you can. Um, anything else you want to add? I think only uh, Bodies and Craft brought up. And in response to it, Semivan kind of stutters and says, Yeah, he doesn't answer, does he? George jokingly says, Well, that says a lot anyway. So thank you for that. Did did Semivan not answer in a similar way a similar question when he was on with Brian Keating and Tom DeLong? Like, yeah, it gets that sort of awkward. not for me not not yeah. going there so which which might mean nothing you know yes um, you've got to say it that, could yeah. mean everything so yeah take, take it probably well. means he's seen the bodies in the craft no, <laughs> you can't yeah, say I mean, that. It's can't boot right that's yeah but there, there's probably good reasons for these people to give the answers they give so it's i think it's we're so accustomed to to no comment or i can't discuss that because of an nda meaning meaning well it must be true and that's not always the case so it's he's not giving an answer it's a, it's a non-answer yeah. um just to touch on it again we want people to go and watch it kurt dry is a friend of ours now uh, especially from professional point of view he's great to talk to and he's just had george knapp and colm kelleher on theories of everything um i've only caught bits of it it was bedtimes with the kids uh when it was on live so uh you managed to make some notes on it dan any particular points that yeah. stood out for you uh, it's a good job you didn't watch it with the kids. There might have been some stories that were scary for them. So yeah, uh, good, probably. good call. You know, the the dino beaver isn't soft and cuddly to everyone. The the baby caught some of it, but he's not got a clue what's going on. So <laughs> or he knows everything and can't communicate it. It's one of the two. So there was a lot of conversation about the hitchhiker effect. And, and that kind of opened up a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Jonathan Davis earlier, and I saw that he was ecstatic in the chat because um, it was mentioned that black helicopters showing up a kind of could be part of the hitchhiker effect and i know there's a lot of discussion around uap disguising themselves as different objects be it commercial airliners clouds black helicopters and and we actually got some conversation about it here um it's time coded so i recommend people go listen to it but it was very interesting to hear that multiple people had experiences with black helicopters passing overhead that were unmarked you know it could be i think you know we we have the idea of the phenomena being able to give us kind of holograms and screen images in our heads by manipulating our consciousness. So maybe that's it, you know, setting, reacting to people's expectations of what they expect to see overhead or making people nervous. It's uh, it's very interesting. I, I wouldn't like to say definitively what it is, but I know it's in a lot of cases. Um, I also had the pleasure of having a question asked. I, I asked uh, Colm and Knapp what, uh, what people... Ha- haven't spoken about from the books that were really interesting. Um, Knapp answered by basically emphasizing that this was probably, OSAP was probably the biggest study of the phenomena um, in history with the US government. Uh, 22 million doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot more than we thought was being put into it, which was a big fat zero. Uh, It generated huge databases, nothing else like it in the world at the time. Um, Valet created created them and they were going to be using AI to kind of sift through them. And we know that's where the conversation's going now. So it seems they could have just funded OSAP properly a while back, right? Yeah. Um, then Colm uh, 
emphasize that the orsap orsap wasn't just about skinwalker ranch it was a minority of cases from skinwalker ranch uh they brought forward 104 separate reports that were submitted separately um and only the minority was on skinwalker a lot of them were, were based around different places he brings up a few reports uh of UA, ufo experiences with black mm-hmm. triangles and things like that that were really intriguing and he also emphasizes the fact that they had to get three russian translators to translate all the material they got out of the Soviet Union. Um, for me, I, I've never been big on that stuff, but it what what Colm said kind of brought me round a bit on it. Um, and, and they really went hard on it. And, and they found a unit, I don't know if, I, I hadn't seen this before, but unit 73790 uh, was apparently kind of the, the DI-55 or the A-tip of the Soviet Union. So have, have a gander if people are interested in that. Um, one last thing because there's a lot here, um, would be, we've heard about Axelrod in the book before, but Colin points out here that he was the primary or considered the, and this is the language he uses, the primary infectee for the hitchhiker effect for those around him. Uh, I thought that was a, a really heavy phrase. <laughs> he, he took it 2,000 miles back home with him in Virginia. Within a few weeks, both his wife and son had experienced effects. A few months later, neighbors reported them. And even school kids that his children went to school with were reporting strange creatures in the bedroom windows and outside their bedrooms and stuff. I just get myself chills. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot to, to like in that interview. And I thought it did a fantastic job. Yeah. Please go and check that out. That's theories of everything on YouTube. You'll see they've just hit like 150,000 subscribers and it's, it's only going up. So yeah, I'll, I've got my, again, I've still got my theories of everything hoodie on. I've been recording in this week. Um, so yeah. And one thing to segue nicely onto the next section is they do talk about Havana syndrome. I literally was something... just going to say, can we do that nice segue? Because... Yeah. <laughs> I, I always, I'm always on top of this. Very good. Um, Havana syndrome is is something that it was picked up on and, and talked about in the last year, year and a half, and it's never really gone away. And the mainstream media seem to pick up on it quite frequently as well, yeah. including some of the, the big publications. Uh, they write regular articles on it too. And that's not to say it's necessarily always phenomenon, phenomena rated um, or related. But um, I spoke to Tim McMillan about this today, and he gave a really interesting idea that he didn't necessarily go down the route and i won't spoil it i want people to listen to the interview obviously but he thinks it may be a byproduct of some sort of monitoring that might be going on again if it is russian or chinese spying for example or u.s spying let's lump them all in together that it's something that's coming off as part of something that's happening um and that's what's making people sick so maybe like an unintentional side effect yeah yeah and potentially that's why the the latest report that came out, I think, was it CIA? I can't remember, said they didn't think it was a foreign adversary. Uh, and he doesn't quite believe that is the case. Yeah, we we had that CIA report saying that they could explain the bulk of them. And there were a few that could be a foreign adversary, but they weren't willing to go that far. And then we had a new US intelligence community report this week that the study found that pulsed electromagnetic energy, particularly in the radio frequency range, um, could explain the characteristics and uh, or some of the core characteristics the article says uh, associated with Havana syndrome. I'd love to see those core characteristics and how much they cross over with uh, with some of the core characteristics of the sixth observable. Because mm-hmm. um, like Lou, Lou pointed out a while back that these things could be very different but have similar signatures. 
and and I think science is getting to a point where we can kind of start to play with these things. And it might be in the same area ish, you know. Uh, non ionizing radiation is a is a scary thing to play with, and and it, it would yeah be better if we could get control of that and figure out what this is. Yeah, and maybe that is the case that there are instances of Havana syndrome related to, like Colm and others have said, a side effect of being in close proximity to UAPs, UFOs. But also it could be a side effect of other processes and things that are happening from a intelligence gathering point of view or sophisticated weapons, sensor systems, whatever they may be, that again are having similar side effects and yeah. causing causing these kind of strange strange things to happen like thomas winterton can, can you remember some of the while we were talking radar way back when we you know were first getting into the tic-tac conversation mm-hmm. um and what those radars could pick up um i i remember someone explaining that basically if you aimed the the radars and the arrays at a bird it would just cook it basically because of the energy being thrown at it so that's a really good example of an unintentional consequence of a technology that's perfectly reasonable to use you know the radar tracking um but yeah side effect is it fries the bird if you aim it (laughs) and again those those waves carry on for however long and whatever distance it may be and yeah so uh, interesting and it's interesting to see that still being picked up and reported on so uh, let's let's keep on top of that one uh, Dan, your James Webb Space Telescope uh, update, what's happening with the, the big mirror up there in the sky? So the James Webb is about a million miles away, 1.5 million kilometers for you folk who, who aren't accustomed to miles. Um, they are now doing the mirror alignments, basically. Uh, I don't know if you remember that when the Hubble went up, there was kind of a mess up um, and the mirrors, they, they had to go up and fix the mirrors, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, this time, instead of something potentially going wrong and them having to fly and fix it because it's a lot further than the moon and it would be hard to do um they made it so that all of those mirror sections are on servos and they can kind of flex and bend them as they need so what's happening now until kind of mayish summer is they're just aligning all those mirrors so at the moment everything's out of focus they're still receiving you know there's photons hitting the detectors there'll be data being generated but it's all going to kind of be like looking, you know, almost like if I take my glasses off and kind of start looking at things um, and they're getting the glasses on it. Um, so so we'll see the first uh, images by, it should be about summerish. Um, and you can actually go to the James Webb uh, data repository and download these images. They just don't come in a, a format like a JPEG or something like that. They'll work on your phone. You've got to get special programs. They are free. Uh, but yeah, ha- have a gander if you're you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, keep an eye on that stuff online, folks. Like, there's going to be nothing coming through in terms of of images till the summer. I saw today on Facebook someone reporting that it was an image of Jupiter and two of the moons that sure. was filmed by Cassini in one of the flybys, and it was like a time lapse of, of images that were taken. Beautiful picture, and someone was like, "Here are the first images from the James Webb Telescope." And it was like quite a, quite a few people quickly jumped on that saying, nope, that's not the case. And to be honest, I don't think that's what we're going to be getting from the James Webb telescope anyway, is it? It's going to be looking no. a lot further out. It's not a probe flying past planets. It's a telescope sitting out in the void, looking into deep, deep, deep space yeah. uh, and looking back in time pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And and with certain light as well. Uh, I, I don't know if people know this, but when you see pictures of like Venus and Jupiter and things like that, they're all artificially colored. So Venus, people consider it gold. It's not gold. It's like a, a white kind of marble. Um, but the astronomers kind of, 
they they make it a bit more dramatic because Venus is meant to be a hellscape, so they make it look like a hellscape. And it's true of all the planets in the solar system, kind of except ours, I think. But uh, and, and but it yeah, looks we'll, better we'll be on a, it looks better on one of those little school setups, doesn't it? As well, yeah, like, yeah, look at all exactly. the different colors, yeah. Exactly. Easier to remember when they're like that. But yeah, it'll be like infrared or ultraviolet light and things like that. And then they pick the color hues based on it. So, yeah. Are we... Uh, totally separate question, Dan. This is one for... I could ask you after, but I'll ask sure. it now because <laughs> other people might be thinking the same thing. It was only in the last couple of years I really realized that we don't really have any proper pictures as we know it of other planets or or things in space. They're always either artist interpretations, um, CGI, or like you say things that are kind of filled in yeah are, are there any actually good pictures of other planets that are accurate that we aren't filling in the details ourselves you you can find them um they're just kind of buried in the archives because the more dramatically colored ones catch on with the public's imagination yeah. um but they are out there and and there was an article a couple of weeks back where someone put a few of them together so i'll try and find that and we can put the link in the description so people can see what the planets really look like uh because yeah you you just kind of think wow maybe the earth is flat not really i'm kidding don't be mad at me <laughs> no we know it is um but yeah no it's, de it's definitely not <laughs> um and also i just want to add that the our friends at ufo identified.co.uk that's uh, ash and co um who put on the fabulous minicon in preston last year myself and graham rendell attended um, they have got the uk ufo report up which was published on the 1st of February 2022, and it's our annual report looking at all the sightings data for reports made during 2021. So check that out at ufoidentified.co.uk. And I think later in the year, I'll be popping along to, to their, their conference when it's announced, so keep an eye out on that one as well, folks. I think Dan's going to make an effort to get to this one too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I imagine like Graham and stuff. Last year. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Um, some then what's to come folks on the podcast so as we record this it's the 4th of February and uh, lots to do I've literally spent the day as Dan knows doing podcast stuff all day took the day off work to do this non-stop um, so available from today is uh, on that's Friday the 4th on Patreon on Apple Premium or Spotify Premium that's the paid subscriptions not like you pay Spotify but you you sign up for the one ninety nine or two ninety nine um, paid subscription you can hear Tim McMillan's interview um, over a week early that'll be uploaded over a day or so in two parts because it was recorded in two parts and, and we'll be discussing with Tim what happened happens during his quote-unquote downtime and um, which is a lot i can assure you and um, debrief article on chris mellon we go into that in more detail we talk about anti-neutrinos and baiting ufos and there's a whole lot more in there as well we had a really really long deep conversation and the listener questions section was fantastic too um went into some more controversial questions that, that tim gave he answered everything but there was some stuff people were kind of really inquisitive about knowing in there as well so check that out folks uh, this weekend also tom delong profile part 1.5 will be available where we discuss your points thoughts and questions from our part one profile of tom delong and it certainly proved to be one of our most popular shows for a long time as well um big hit on on the youtube um let's see if that's just because lots of people still thought it was an interview with tom delong <laughs> even though we said it wasn't and we called it a profile and everything else but yeah part two is still not an interview with tom delong um i'll give a quick update on how our interview with tom delong is going they are still not getting back to us um and, so, and yeah. they've also cancelled their tour now so tom's not even coming to the uk which on one hand may mean he has more time for interviews but on the other hand he's going to be on a different time zone to us and he might be a little bit less receptive to that yeah if you're listening tom it would still be good to have you on he's probably not listening 
Mark Travis, can you tell Tom to come on? That would be great. Uh, so part two, part two, where we discuss those early um, years of TTSA as we knew it. It's flame burned all too bright too quickly, um, but it had a lot to accomplish in a very short time. That'll be out as well. On Monday the 7th of February on the free feed, John Ramirez part two is out. Thank you to everyone who's checked out the interview in full already on the premium services. And finally, Dan, you are off to Colombia on Monday the 7th of Feb. You're meeting up with Vinny uh, this Sunday in Brewdog in Birmingham, aren't you? That's right, yeah. So Vinny's going to be in Brewdog in Birmingham from 1pm. Uh, so you can meet up and, and you know have a chat with Vinny. I'll be coming along at about 5pm because I got a later bus. Um, but after that, we go to a hotel, hold up for the night, and, and yeah, uh, hopefully get an early night because we have 5am flight. Uh, but by Monday evening, uh, we'll be in Colombia with Ashley Cowie and the team. Um, and yeah, I'll start sending you updates and uh, about what's happening out there. Awesome. Well, I look forward to those updates. Uh, look forward to kind of catching up and seeing what happens while you're out there. There's a whole lot of content already in the can, and Dan and I are doing one last recording tomorrow to make sure there's plenty to come out still while everyone's away. I've got interviews um, lined up with Professor Simon Holland, uh, which I've announced, and you can send over questions already. Check out Professor Simon Holland's YouTube channel um, to email the questions to ufouapam at gmail.com. I know that's one Dan's looking forward to as well. And Kevin Randall, we're just working on securing a date and time on his new book on Leveland, Texas in the event of 1957-2. That'll be pretty much it for February. We start to hit March at that point. And I will look to drop over listener call-in slots as well for the next week or so while Dan's away. So if you can email me with the subject listener call-in, that would be great. Uh, a few people have already. Fantastic. I will try and fit you in as best that accommodates your time zone and mine. Dan? That's all for the breakdown. So until yeah. next time. And well, I, I guess I'll see you when I get back from Colombia. Uh, just before we finish out, I just want to say thank you to everyone that donated to the raffle over Christmas. Lou and I just finished out all of the calls with people who, you know, either bid for them or made such a big bid that Lou wanted to, to take time to call them. Um, and there were some really productive conversations and, and some really great ideas from the people who entered the raffle about the next uh, fundraising ne- this year. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who uh, helped us raise 24000 for charity and just keep an eye out uh, for, for news on, on the next round of fundraising. But don't worry, folks, I'm not leaving the country. I'll still be here in the UK. I'll still be cold. I'll still be working. And until next time, <laughs> speak to you soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFOUAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Meditate again, fateful on meta.
imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. back and nearly kissed myself and I climbed out the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was wet. I called out to my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems and they think I should see therapy and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me.